this week on Dig Me Out. You know, 17 pieces into the Butterfinger, you're like, all right. I need a Milky Way. Yeah, or or I just need need a glass of water. Tim and Jay review Silver Sun by Silver Sun. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 179, season four, our fourth season, and we have, as you might have predicted, a requested review. Requested Requested review. review. Had quite a number of these in the spring and summer, and uh, we're getting to uh, one by Mr. Rob Harford. Halford? Uh, nope, Harford. H a r f o r d. Not Hartford, Harford. I think it's Harford. That's how I'm saying it. Um, the Metal God. Yes, Rob Halford. Uh, which, by the way, I think doesn't Priest have a new album coming out soon? They do. Curious to hear it. Yeah. Me too. That's not related to what we're doing here, though. We are no. reviewing an album uh, by a band called Silver Sun. Um, not the Silver Sun pickups, just uh, Silver and Sun. It's the, it's the two words. And it's their debut album from 1997, self titled or eponymous, if you prefer that term. Uh, Jay, were you familiar with this band called Silver Sun? No, not at no, all. Me neither. So that's that's a another one. Believe it or not, that's another band we were not familiar with I know. from the 1990s. For two guys who do a podcast about 90s music, we sure as hell don't know a lot of bands from the 90s. Well, I, I tell you, uh, this whole season, outside of the ones that we picked and maybe a couple, seems like all the others are completely off our radar. Yeah. Well, we've been getting a lot of uh, a lot of picks this year, and I think we're up to like fourteen or fifteen already for the season. And like you said, most of them have been uh, completely brand new to us, so that we have that we've received from our suggestions. So, if it was season one, I would get it, but by season four, yeah, we should have like ninety nine percent of these bands down. <laughs> it's like we just have just begun to scratch the surface of this whole thing. Well, we do have a ten year contract, Jay, so. Hopefully by year eight or nine, we will have tackled most of these bands. I think we should talk some history of Silver Sun to get us uh, in the right frame of mind around this band. History of the band. Silver Sun formed in Camden, London, England in 1995. Uh, They were uh, James Broad on lead vocals and guitar. Richard Buckton on bass, piano, and vocals. Paul Smith on guitar. And then they had two drummers uh, during the history of the during the during the band's uh, history: Richard Sace and Jason Panutti, who also was a backing vocalist. They were originally called Sun with an exclamation point and released their first EP under that name, but they were forced to change the name, and they chose to add the name Silver 
after the Beatles' original name, the Silver Beatles. Uh, the single Lava was the first that used the new name Silver Sun. Lava, it came, Lava the single came from the uh, debut uh, self-titled album, which we mentioned, which was released in 1997. It was co-produced by Nigel Godrich, who went on to produce Radiohead and Paul McCartney and some of those, you know, uh, names you might have heard. Uh, they got a song onto a soundtrack, a British comedy called Shooting Fish. The song is called Golden Skin. Uh, their second album, Neo Wave, was released in 1998, the following year. Uh, both of those albums came out on Polydor Records, and in 1999, Polydor Records dropped the band. At that point, the band sort of went their separate ways. They started working on separate projects. Uh, Richard Buckton, the uh, bass player, piano, and vocalist, um, started working with uh, producer Pete Woodruff to write uh, songs for Spice Girl Mel C. I thought that was an interesting uh, interesting turn of events for him. Um, the other guys went on to form other bands and, and played in, with different artists. Um the third album by the band was released in 2005, so you're talking about seven years between the second and third record. Um, it was released on the Invisible Hands label. Now, the thing that's different about this is that only James Broad, the lead singer, appears on this record. He played all the instruments and released it under the name Silver Sun. However, when they went to tour, the entire band got back together and toured the record. following year, in 2006, they released their fourth album, Dad's Weird Dream. That was uh, that had one track that was remixed by Nigel, Nigel Godrich. In 2012, the band released a live digital album containing songs from their first two albums. And in 2013, they released a digital-only fifth album, which uh, again James Broad was listed as the only singer and or only songwriter and performer on the record. So that is the history of Silver Sun. Camden, London's Silver Sun. If you, like Rob, would like to suggest an album for us to review, please visit our request to review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. Now, we did not get any Facebook feedback on this record, probably because it's a little obscure. And we also, um, Rob didn't chime in with any info uh, or opinions on this record. So we're just going to jump into uh, what we liked and what we didn't like. This is a 15 song, well, 14 really. The first track is not really a song uh, so this is a pretty this is a long album so i'm thinking we're gonna go what i liked and then what i didn't like uh on this record jay so i'm gonna start with you jay tell me one thing that you liked about silver sun by silver sun what do you mean the first track isn't a song test that first song te- this first track test uh, it's just a guy <clears throat> talking the track it's not done that way on spotify oh is it is it do they combine the first tracks yeah. So, okay. yeah. Okay. So it's fourteen with that first one combined. Mm-hmm. Okay. Making sure I didn't miss something here. Uh, something I like. Uh, harmonies, 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 harmonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're thick. They're everywhere. They um, combined with the guitar tone, I think, is what makes them work really, really well. Um, so the guitar is real overdriven to almost to an extreme, almost to like a static point that sometimes they get so like overdriven. Um, but those really well executed, um, lush, uh, 
harmonies over top of that is a really cool contrast. So that's something I really liked about this record. Well, you said harmonies, harmonies, harmonies. I'm going to say melodies, melodies, melodies. Uh, this album is chock full of super catchy melodies. I mean, this is a a tour de force of power pop, this record. Um, with some other subtle influences that we'll, we'll talk about later. But, um, you know, in order to be a great power pop band, you have to have memorable choruses. And they go for it on every song. I mean, there are some songs where the verses are so catchy they could be the, the chorus of a better song by a, a, a weaker band. Mm. Um, they also are not afraid to, when delivering those melodies, um, they're not afraid to do things like stick the chorus up front as the first, do the old Aerosmith trick, stick the chorus up front, or the, or the, or the line that's going to be delivered in the chorus, but deliver it as the verse. Um, they and, in, and then also what you're mentioning with the harmonies, uh, they also do a lot of cool counter melodies sometimes with the uh, with different songs. Thinking of like service track seven for me, track I guess six for you, um, since you listened to the 14 track version. Um, but it's it's a little bit different of a feel. This is a very up tempo record, and this is a bit of a uh, not a, it has a kind of a stomp to it. And it has a tambourine going along. Um, and it's chock full of the harmonies that you mentioned. And it's chock full of counter melodies. And that song is uh, uh, one of the highlights for me. On this they record. get to the chorus in that song by 30, just over 30 seconds. Yeah. They're already to the chorus. Yeah. And that's not, I mean, they've already played a verse in that 30 seconds. You got your shit down if you can pull that off. Right. Uh, what? Tell me something else about this record that that works for you, um, and you don't have to just stick to one. I mean, if you want to pontificate a little bit, go right ahead. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm opening up the floor, Jay. The floor is yours. Let's see. the um, The songwriting in general is really smart. Um, lyrically, it's uh, the, the harmonies and 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 um, the melodies are so strong and the harmonies are so thick and there's a certain kind of just particular tone to the vocal um sometimes i find it difficult to even focus on the on the lyrics but when i do um you know they seem pretty witty and um sometimes a little bit funny i think what makes it work even more is the um just the craft of the songwriting and the dynamics of the band um there's a lot of really uh, smart um, use of stopping and starting and um, there's one song where uh, it's got this really cool kind of like a muted picking um, guitar but then it's it's not for any long extended time and they kind of go into these big chords and then they do a you know a dramatic pause and then they come in and it just there's a lot of that going on you know where they've thought through really every note that's played um to you know really think think about how to pull you into the song and kind of take you on a ride and it's all pretty concise you know uh looking at this at the, most of the songs that are longer are probably the slower songs mm-hmm. um and by longer i mean this long the lengthiest song on the record is four minutes so right uh everything else is at three or well under three 
Um, gotta like that, right? So something good. I guess the last thing, and I mentioned it when I first started um, talking about the vocal, was it's a good, I'll segue into the bad too out of this, is that the sound of the band kind of makes the record for me. Um, there's a couple tunes where they pull things back a little bit, go a little bit cleaner, um, a little bigger production, and it starts to sound too much like Jellyfish. Hmm. So uh, like Bad Haircut has more acoustic guitars, um, like added percussion. It obviously, you get the Beatles stuff, but to me, that could be a Jellyfish song, and, and, and I wouldn't have known it. Not that that's bad, but I think it's not obviously particularly unique. The other 13 songs, for the most part, there's a couple of ones they are quieter, but for the most part, the rest of the record, they stick to that format of that really overdriven guitar, up-tempo, chunky-sounding, you know, musically. Um, some cool effects on, you know, leads and things. Um, a saxophone appears at one point, I think, or at least a keyboard sax i'm not sure if it's a real one or not um so they got a unique sound which you know sometimes with power pop that can be difficult um because you're doing the the beatlesque harmonies you start to run out of room to be original and i think they came up with a sound that allowed them to uh you know have their own little niche within that power pop realm if you will well they're able to infuse the power pop with you know these really big guitars and this almost like punk rock energy on some of these songs they're, they're so fast not in, not in like a, a guys going insane on the drums or anything like that but just like it's it reminded me of um, what I like what I liked about like early Green Day in that you've got this like manic energy. Mm. on some of the stuff and I think that's when I started to lose interest in Green Day when they became like all their songs became like mid-tempo which is kind of the antithesis of being a punk band but they're able to combine this you know sort of punk energy with these sugary sweet beach boy harmonies and these big in-your-face guitars uh, and able to do it in a way that if you did it the wrong way it would be a mess but they make it work by the song with the songwriting like the songwriting and and the production you know combining all those elements ties it all together and i think this is the first time this might be the first time all year i'd have to look back at what we've reviewed but i could not like get rid of us i couldn't say there was a single bad song on the record for me um, i think there's some things that are lesser but i mean this song this starts out with like the first 
eight or nine songs just being killer tracks. And if it if you would cut the record off then, I'd been like, this is one of the best records I've ever heard. Towards in the back half, I think there were some things that like, you know, as just because of fatigue, um, there's a lot of energy coming at you and you start to get a little fatigued towards the end of the record. And I think they do a good job of knowing when to go to the uh, the slower song at the, towards the middle and towards the end of the record so that you have a little bit of a wind down. And then in the last track, it's just a piano and vocal track, uh, Animal's Feet, uh, which, you know... For a band, you know, we when we reviewed the uh, the stereo record, I think they tried to go to the the piano song like three times and didn't really work. And I think we said if they had just gone to it on the last track, probably would have worked better as like the like change of pace on the last song. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this band does. And I think this band does it right when they do that. sounds a little like a uh, bent folds almost um, mm-hmm. i just i love that they uh they really stripped it down just to that piano and the <clears throat> and the vocals I, that leads me though to the, i guess I, I didn't finish my rest of my thought um and your your point about that too might be a good segue is that um in terms of what i didn't like it's not any particular song it's that uh, you know what makes them the sound that makes them unique that I talked about also can become a little fatiguing and like you almost become numb to some of it's either because of the sound of the band or just, I don't know, the consistency or something you start to get, you know, towards the end of the record, a little fatigued and also just a little bit, it's difficult to um, remember particular songs. Like you remember the hooks and mm-hmm. the sound of the band, but it all starts to blur together about halfway through the record. You know, I found myself enjoying it more when I would listen to it in little spurts, like two, three songs, like, oh, wow, this band's so good, than I would if I would, you know, go through the whole record and stick through it and try to stay focused. I'm not sure, you know, why that is. Part of it, I think, for me personally, might be just that sound of the band gets a little, it's just a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little, like, rich, let's put it that way between all the vocal stuff going on the production is really like dry and crisp but almost to the point of like too much mm-hmm. and um you know it's so concise 
it's like there's not a minute of you almost need like a minute of breath and it's kind of for the most part it's 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 um it's in your face quite a bit so i guess that would be my only downside just as a record it's um i think it, it's it feels way more powerful in small bits than it does the whole record but that's kind of it's it's a little nitpicky well ironically enough uh in what you're saying, you know, that rang true with me in terms of the fatigue. It made me appreciate the spider bait record even more mm, because yeah. that record has those blasts of like really in your face power pop songs. And then you get a weird ambient two minute long cool out song, you know, cool down. Right. And they are able to, and they, it's a very, you know, pristine production um and they're able to to turn that into a really interesting and diverse record with these you know very blast big blasts of hooky power pop um thrown in yeah and i almost feel like you know maybe at like the the five or six part mark or maybe like the 10 or 11 mark they needed to go to like some sort of a weird little like one or two minute long you know still melodic and still catchy but you know just if they have a piano player maybe just have them play on an organ or something you know with some cool melody for like a minute or two just to let you like catch your breath because it is it's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of melodies and i remembered a lot of the choruses as well but i was like not necessarily sure which ones which songs they were going with just by you know i dumb was one where i was like okay i completely remember that chorus because it's such a fun song Same thing with uh, Julia. A lot of these songs had also elements of, I heard um, little bits of like glam rock uh, in in them. Yeah. You mean like uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of glam rock are you talking about? Well, the, uh, not the, um, not the Bowie, but like I, I heard like a little bit of the T-Rex. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah. jauntiness. Mm-hmm. I heard that too. Uh, you know that element of it. You know, obviously, I mean, the Beatles Beach Boys stuff is is the overwhelmingly, you know, blatant, obviously, blatant yeah. obvious influence. I think musically, there's there's quite a bit of cheap trick in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vocally, it's very different. But uh, if you just listen to the structure of the songs and the guitar riffs, especially the first track, you know, that, that guitar riff that opens the record, and there's a couple other parts where it's kind of structured like cheap tricks songs. Um, a song like Last Day, there's parts of that that sound Red Cross-like to me. Especially when the vocal strips down to just one voice. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't have a backup behind it or it's not 
Harmony. Uh, I heard some similarities from time to time to Red Cross. Um, but to your analogy about or, or that we were both talking about in regards to it being just a little bit too much, it's like, you know, pick your favorite candy bar, say Butterfinger, you know, and mm-hmm. you get a Butterfinger and it's like in what, three, four parts or something. And you have the first part, you're like, oh, it was so good. You have the second one, you're like, wow, that was really good too. And the third one and then fourth one and then, you know, 17 pieces into the Butterfinger, you're like, all right. I need a Milky like, Way. Yeah. Or, or I just need a, I need a glass of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a nap or something. You know what I mean? It's just, whew. So I think it's very much like that. One track I wanted to highlight is uh, Lava. Mm-hmm. It has this, again, it's it's all about the energy with some of these songs. Um, it starts out and you're like, oh, okay, this is different. It's got this little like intro part. Uh, it's going to be quiet. And then just this like manic uh, vocal, you know, uh, you mentioned the Cheap Trick and that's a good uh, comparison in terms of when Cheap Trick got really, like earlier stuff when it got really sort of like, um, I was thinking of like the, what album is it? I don't remember what it The song Hello There. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Kind of reminded me of in that vein, um, and it has this you know he's got that like sort of jarring vocal thing going on during the verses, and then it smooths out and he's got a really catchy vocal. Um, I couldn't quite hear what he was singing about. I, he was mentioning Jesus a lot, and I didn't know if he was doing it like in a sarcastic way or or what it was. But he was because the vocals sort of weird in that song. I couldn't quite pick up what he was singing yeah. exactly. What's funny about that song is when he gets to the chorus, like. You could be watching an episode of Happy Days, like you know what I mean. It's like right, right. out of like fifties early rock and roll, you know, bobbing your head kind of. Well, it's got that swing going, swing, uh, yeah, it. swing to it, and it's such a stra- uh, stark contrast from the verse, which is pretty edgy. I think like you were talking about, it's pretty, it's fast and it's pretty edgy. And when you get to that chorus, it it works perfectly. Like it, I don't know how they did it, but they got the two diff- those two parts to work together really well but they couldn't be more different if you just sampled one and then sampled the other So I was, you know, mentioning about the songwriting and just the craft of it is is really real, really well done. You know, the songs I, I tend to gravitate to most were probably the ones that were a little bit chunkier and like more urgent. So like Last Day, Far Out, um, I like this and that a lot. It reminded me of a. Uh, it starts off. It sounds like Stacy's Mom by Fountains of Wayne a little bit. 
And then uh, by the time he gets to the chorus, he's singing in a, like a falsetto. And uh, it reminded me of the darkness kind of in the in the choruses. But it's got a really cool um, guitar lead that's, uh, you know, a, a, a really complimenting the hook. And, that, and that's something they, they do quite a bit on the record pretty well is introduce guitar leads that either mimic the, the hook or make their own. Uh, and they play, you know, pretty important role in the songs. They're not just a guitar lead for the sake of having a guitar lead. Well, you mentioned Stacy's mom. To me, it sounded like what Stacy's mom was sounding like, which was the Cars. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a little, you know, any band that's like a power pop band that uses that subtle like synth is going to get compared to the to the Cars um, mm-hmm. or Weezer on the first record. And that's, you know, that's just going to happen. Yeah, that's that's one of the cooler songs on the record. That, that guitar line is almost has like a country feel to it. It's kind of weird. Like it does not fit <laughs> like what you would think would be the guitar line for that song. And then it just, but it works. But it has a totally different feel than what, is that, what I was expecting from that particular track. Um, when it, the track after it, Wonderful... Um, it does a cool bit of like bait and switch with that song where it starts out really big and heavy and then within like like they play this riff I think they play like or I don't know if it's a riff but it's a chord progression and um, it's pretty you know straightforward and then when you get to the pre-chorus it goes into this like dun 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 but he's, yeah. and it's like the yeah. whole band is together and the vocals doing the same yeah. thing uh, it's really cool like yeah. I that's a hard thing to do and you know this because you've written songs it's a hard thing to get that vocal melody to match up rhythmically with the rest of the band and make it sound natural and interesting and interesting (laughs) not just be dumb yeah exactly it's almost like a a a brief moment of like a queen kind of thing yes you're like only a band like that could, could put that together and make it work yeah they they do it well and that was one that i think because the verse of that song i didn't love but the pre-chorus and the chorus i do like that was probably one of the i had rated as one of the weaker ones but just listening to it again it there are there are still parts about it that i like well the synth solo is is cool yeah yeah so i wonder what the stuff sounded like live that's a good question i mean you know they were it wasn't like this was a power, you know, trio or anything. This is a, a band with, uh, you know, two guitar players. So they could pull off this bigger sound. Um, yeah. And they had three singers in the band at one point. They can pull off the harmonies, too. Sometimes when you get, you know, bands that sound this good in the studio, you don't necessarily get that same quality live. I'm wondering how much... I'm wondering if the band did all the vocals in the studio or if it was the lead singer doing the vocals, all the harmonies and stuff like that. It's hard to tell. At times it sounds like the same voice. Mm -hmm. And then listening to the history of the band, knowing that essentially it's whittled down to just one person, right? Yeah. Essentially for two of the albums, two of the the five albums that they've released, James Broad was the only person involved. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds, if you told me after listening to the record, if you told me it was just one person doing it all, I'd believe you. If you told me it was a band, I'd believe you. It's tough to tell. It's so like seamless and 
you know, well executed and everything melts together so well, it's very difficult to tell if it's different voices. Well, you can definitely hear like a singular purpose to the record, whereas when you listen to a Jellyfish record, song to song, you can hear different songwriters. It's it's fairly right, you right. know, fairly distinct between the different guys in that band. Right. And that's part of I think what adds to the fatigue we were talking about. It's not just the sound and richness, it's the commonality between this you know the songwriting too so let's go overall on this record jay let's let's talk about our rating where the album better ep decent single where are you at i'm at a worthy album it's tough to uh the worst thing you can say about it is is, is that it's too much of a good thing <laughs> you right. know that's not a bad problem to have really that's my only that's my only criticism um, if you like power pop, if you like hard rock, if you like harmonies and really strong melodies and hooks and, you know, big guitars and dynamics, I, I don't know, you know, there's not much to complain about here. Lyrically, it's, it's interesting enough. And, you know, some, I guess some bands I could give you given that whole description, but lyrically, maybe it's just like too cheesy or, you know, um, kind of awful in some way, but it's not. So it's hard to. For what it is, it's hard to critique it. Yeah, I, I'm right with with you with it being a worthy album. I don't like I said earlier. I don't think there's a bad song on the record. I think there's just a few too many songs to make this, you know, something you want to listen to all the way through at one time. Even though it's so short, you know, there's barely a song over three thirty until the last track. Um, but it's just a, it's a lot of bullets being fired, and sometimes you know you just need to like whoa, calm down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think if this was like 10 or 11 songs instead of 14, yep. I, I would have been a masterpiece. I mean, just it would have been a, a, a really, truly, you know, gem of a record. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the 90s and there was a lot of extra space on the CD. So, <laughs> I mean, they didn't even I use half the up. CD. <laughs> just imagine yeah. if they, imagine, if this was a Guided by Voices record, we'd have another 15 songs to deal with. So, <laughs> I, love, I love that you phrase it to deal with. We'd only be halfway through the review. Uh, Two-parter. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, I think this is one that absolutely people should check out. A uh, lot of good stuff on here. Um, for me, starting with, uh, you know, right off the bat, all the way through tracks, uh, I guess, through La- from Golden Skin to Lava. I, those are all keepers for me, and then there's a couple more. You mentioned this and that, and I mentioned Wonderful. I, I think... You know, right there, right there is an album, and then there's four songs besides that that I could take or leave. Two thumbs up, two uh, five star ratings, two uh, A pluses for Silver Sun. We need to thank uh, Rob Harford for bringing this to us. A true uh, needle in the haystack, and uh, turned out to be um, quite the uh, sharp needle. I don't know where that analogy was what? going. I don't know. It was a cliche that it went wrong. It wow, went very wrong. Okay. So if you would like to suggest an album uh, for us to review and possibly gush over, uh, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and hit our request review page. And as always, we will uh, ask that if you like what you heard on this episode, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at iTunes. 
Um, I want to thank everybody for checking us out, whether it's on Radio IO or Stitcher, wherever you happen to stream or download this episode from. Coming up, we're going to have some uh, some of our own picks. Jay's, I asked Jay for a couple picks, so uh, he's going to be um, throwing some at you. And then uh, I'm going to have a pick or two, and uh, we're going to have some guests coming up. We've been a little been slacking on the guests uh, this year. So uh, we're going to have some folks joining us coming up soon. So that should be interesting. Assuming uh, nobody, you know, uh, craps out on us like uh, Mr. So-and-so from King's X did. uh, We're not bitter about that. Don't worry. (laughs) So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, For Jay, I'm Tim, and we will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.